of, uh, actually, we can't even say welcome yet because there's people with their hands up with money. Malia, can you do me a favor? No. Kylie, can you do me a favor? No. Miss Heather, can you walk around with the... Uh, okay, as she's walking around, I do want to welcome you to the official start of Advent. Now, I say official in quotation marks, you know, the official start of the holiday season, because the unofficial start, especially with our Western culture, started five days before Halloween. It was a dark and a stormy night. Actually, it wasn't, but every good story starts that way. <laughs> My family was sitting around watching TV on the evening of October 26th. I remember it quite vividly. One commercial stopped, and the next one started. And we all saw it at the same time. We saw the silver, the red, the green wrapping around the Hershey Kisses. And then... As every good bell choir does, they started to play their Christmas tune. <clears throat> you guys have seen that commercial before. I know you have. And if you haven't, it's because you haven't turned your TV on in the last eight years during the Advent season. On that fateful night, October 26, 2016, the year of our Lord, almost as if we had practiced it, my family let out a unified groan. Oh, really? No. A unified groan. And so the holiday season began. Here we sit, one month, 29 days later, at the official start of the Advent season. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a question, a legitimate question. What makes you groan over the holiday season? And that not just, not just a commercial that was played two months too soon, but what makes you groan? What makes you cry out? When you are thinking about Christmas to Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving to Christmas, what are the hard things, the difficult things, the, the things that make your heart beat a little bit faster and not in that excited way, but in that, oh, type of way? Is that, those are questions make sense? Le legitimate questions. What makes you groan? Madonna? Okay, the commercialism that starts before Halloween, yes, definitely makes you groan. What else? Shop yeah, yeah, shopping. I think that's purgatory. Okay, what else makes you groan? What makes your heart hurt over the Advent season? Okay, putting on the Christmas lights makes your hands hurt too. Other things. Okay, Santa and the nativity scene on, on decorations, okay? Okay, sure. 
So the commercialization of even affecting our kids. Okay? What else? Okay. Hearing or saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Okay. Xmas instead of Christmas. Yeah. Scheduling conflicts. Thank you. Somebody said amen to that. I haven't even got an amen yet. <laughs> Anything else? Traffic. Okay. Yes. Family dynamics. <laughs> For those listening online, the mother of the person who just said that spoke a word of encouragement. Could I be so bold as to say that these things that make us groan have the potential? They have the potential to bind our hearts. They have the potential to enslave us. They have the potential to keep us captive, especially over the holiday seasons. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, free us from these things that have the potential to bind us. Free us from the chains of the Christmas season. Send us a deliverer yet again in this time of year when we celebrate God with us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So a couple of months back, I started thinking about the Advent season. Uh, that's, the, one of, that's the curse of being a pastor. Every year, Advent comes. And you have to start thinking, what? wow, how can you tell the story this year? How can you tell a story that Tucker has never heard, and yet Miss Esther has heard 94-ish times. How can you tell a story that stays fresh and somehow rekindles the birth of Christ in each of our hearts? So I started thinking a couple of months back, started praying, started reading, and for some reason, God kept drawing my heart to the story of the Exodus. Now, I'm not sure why that is. You know, perhaps it's because in our formation hour, our Sunday school, since September, we've been looking at the first six books of the Bible. And the major story in those first six books is the exodus of the Israelite people from Egypt. Maybe that's why. Maybe I wanted to tie the front of the book with the back of the book. Maybe I just have some internal issues coming into the holiday season, and I'm subconsciously aware of my need for God to set me free of them. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's my own internal groaning. I'm not sure why, but God has kept laying on my heart the story of the exodus as it pertains to the Advent season. So I invite you over these next five weeks to join me in what I'm deeming Advent in the Exodus. Now, in case you don't know the story, which I'm, I'm sure most of you do, but I'll tell it anyways. In the beginning, God spoke. Okay? He created. He created everything from the things that we can see to the things we are not capable and we're unable to see. And he called all those things good. And then he made humanity. And he said, that's very good. Now, humanity was made to be in relationship with God, but sin happened. And it happened badly. In fact, it grew in magnitude and severity quite rapidly. So God spoke again. And this time, a mulligan monsoon, a supersized sprinkle, a phenomenal flood occurred. God hit the reset button. 
on humanity. Uh, there was Noah. There was a boat. You guys know the narrative. Okay? Not too much later in the story, God called a man named Abram. And he said, hey, Abram, through you, I'm going to show all of humanity who I am. Through you and your descendants, I'm going to restore this relationship with humanity. So Abram, his family, his descendants became the main characters in the story of God's restoration. Abram, later named Abraham, had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God and was renamed Israel. Israel had 12 sons. One of them was named Joseph. Joseph wasn't well-liked by his brothers. He was a dreamer. He told stories of those dreams, and his brothers didn't like it, so they threw him into a pit, and then they sold him off into slavery. He got taken to Egypt. In Egypt, he was wrongly accused of a crime he didn't commit, was thrown into jail, spent years in jail, ended up discerning the dreams of a couple of people, but should have got him out of jail right then. It didn't, but a couple of years later, he had an opportunity to discern the dream of the Pharaoh. Pharaoh was so impressed that Joseph had said seven years of plenty and seven years of famine that he said, you are now in charge of everything. He was the second highest command in all of Egypt. Joseph saved the land and the surrounding region from famine. So his family was invited to come and live in Egypt. You know the story, right? Time passed. And let's listen to it from the biblical text. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6 through 14. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and they filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and they're stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from our country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. Now after this, Charlton Heston came along. I do that every year. I get them confused. Moses came along. Excuse me. And this is where we pick up our theme for today and our theme that will carry on throughout the rest of this Advent season. We pick up the middle of the story of Moses. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew that it was time to act. Are you picturing this in your mind? 
This great cry arose, a groan from the people called God's chosen people. And God heard this groan, and the text says he knew it was time to act. A a deliverer must be sent to reply, to answer this cry. A deliverer had to be sent to set the people free. Hear it again. Years passed. And the king of Israel died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew that it was time to act. First church. People who today are called God's chosen people. What are we groaning for this Christmas season? What are we crying out for? Do we continue to cry out under the burden of slavery? I'm not talking about the slavery to eternal death. We know that that was taken care of. There was a cross, a perfect life lived, a resurrected body. Thank you, Jesus, for taking care of the, the slavery to eternal death. But do we still live under the burden of some form of slavery? Is there still a groan for some degree in each of us during this holiday season? And are we crying out in such a way that God will look down and say, it is time to act again? Are we crying out in such a way that God will look down and say, it is time to act? We've already had the discussion about what makes you groan. And it didn't surprise me that several of your answers were similar answers to answers I had heard when I asked this question to different people over the last couple of weeks. I did some research also with my friend named Google. I typed in, tell me the hardships of the holidays. And some of your answers matched perfectly. This morning, I want to share three of the most common responses, three things that I would say have the potential to bind us, the potential to enslave us, and ultimately, I want to point us to our primary cry. So, what burdens bind us? What makes us cry out to God in this Advent season? I'll say the first, and these are in no particular order, the first is the burden of presence. Gift-giving. Don't get me wrong, okay? I like presents. I like to get them. I like to give them. I like to see the people's excited faces as they tear into these nicely wrapped boxes. But there is a burden to gift giving, isn't there? There's a pressure to find just the right gift. We know the people we're buying for. We know what they like, and and we're just, we're burdened by a store to store to store to store. And even if we find that right gift, We buy it, we bring it home, we wrap it, we still lose sleep over, are they going to like it? Is it going to fit? Is it going to end up at the white elephant party next year? Maybe you don't have that burden. Maybe your burden of gift giving is slightly different. There are a lot of people these days who have tight finances. And gift giving causes them to overspend. So yes, they buy their presents in late November and December, but they pay for them in January, February, March, and when their tax return comes in April, they can finally pay them off. They they spend $27 on a gift they paid $6 for because of interest. The burden of gift giving. I know this isn't the case for everybody because nobody actually in here mentioned that when we talked about your burdens. But for a lot of people, presents, gift giving leads to a form of slavery. 
Maybe it's a slavery to worry. Maybe it's a slavery to finances. Why in the world did the wise men have to set the bar so high? Seriously. I mean, they set a great example of good and pricey gifts. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. After following a star, evading a corrupt king with bad intentions, the wise men found Jesus. Matthew 2.11 says, They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests. Right there we should say, whoa, whoa. Okay? They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Have you seen the price of gold lately? This last Tuesday it was $1,215.40 an ounce. I looked. Gold frankincense, and myrrh. And these are gifts fit for a king, and rightly so, but they're gifts that ever since grandparents and parents have been trying to live up to. The burden of gift giving. Do we get so caught up in this, in the consumeristic, the materialistic side of Christmas that we become like the third soil that Jesus talked about in his parable of the sower? That was the thorny soil. In Luke 8, 14, Jesus said, The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, so they never grow into maturity. Gift-giving has the potential, the potential to lead us past the real story of Advent and to allow us to be choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Please hear me. I'm not opposed to gift giving. In fact, I want to say give gifts. Give good gifts because they're wonderful. They're expressions of love and they help us continue to retell the story of the wise men. I'm not even going to tell you to spend more or less. I just want to ask you, do you feel the burden of gift giving? Are you bound by two days after Black Friday, crying out to God, God, free me from this madness? Is that our primary cry? What burdens bind us? What makes us cry out over Advent? The second most common answer, again, in no particular order, to the hardest things of the holidays question is that as the holidays approach, our recognition, our our awareness, our realization of the loss of loved ones is heightened. We cry out due to the pain of of loss. As we sit around a Thanksgiving table, we see a chair that should be occupied by a father or a brother or a sister, and yet that chair is empty. As we sit in our jammies on Christmas morning about ready to tear into the gifts, we remember that it was dad who used to always grab the black plastic bag, and now somebody else has to grab the bag so the living room isn't a mess. The holidays are a painful time. And then the last couple of weeks, I was deeply and dearly reminded of that. Just this past week, our former neighbor woke up and found her two-month-old baby lifeless in the crib. SIDS. There, There was nothing the parents did wrong, nothing they could have done differently. And yet that family is experiencing the pain of the holiday season. We've experienced that this in-house, too. Earlier this month, Betty Jo died. She would have been 95 on the 19th. 
a month prior to that in October, Shannon's mom suddenly died. In September, Heath Barden, Jack and Ellie's dad, suddenly died. He would have been 40 tomorrow. We experience the pain of loss. And as each of these families goes into the holiday season, they're going to experience a bunch of firsts. A first Thanksgiving without someone. A first Christmas without someone. They're going into the unexpected. They're going into the unknown. They're going into a pain that has the potential to burden them. It doesn't even have to be a first holiday season for that to be the case. It could be years and years later. I talked to one of our Awana directors who 11 years ago, the day before Thanksgiving, lost her brother. And she talked to me about the pain that it is every year because the holidays come and they remember the brother's death. It doesn't even have to be a death of someone for us to experience the loss and the pain of loss in the holiday season. It could be the loss of a marriage. It could be the loss of a relationship with a friend or with a family member. The holidays can be an extremely painful time. My question is, are we bound by the pain of loss in the holiday season? Do we groan? Do we cry out to God to relieve us of this pain? If the Israelite people knew that when they left Egypt, before they made it to the promised land, after wandering in the desert, that an entire generation would be dead and gone, do you think they would have wanted to leave? As the Israelite people buried their leaders, Aaron and Moses, in the wilderness, our text in Numbers 20 and Deuteronomy 34 tells us that the people of Israel mourned for them. This was a a pain of loss during a season that should have been full of excitement and joy. Did you notice that in the story of the wise men, when the wise men found Jesus, it didn't mention his dad? His earthly father, it mentioned Jesus and it mentioned his mom. Now, we do know that Joseph lived till at least when Jesus was 12 because of an episode in Luke chapter 2 where they find him in the temple. But tradition tells us, scholars believe that Joseph died and was not around to see Jesus' teenage years. He was not around to see his ministry, his, his death, his resurrection. You've got to wonder if every year when the Passover came, Every year during the Festival of Tents, every year during Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, did Jesus grieve the fact that his earthly father wasn't there? Did the Israelites enter the promised land and pause on the other side of the Jordan and think to themselves, man, I wish mom or dad could have been here to see this. They they would have loved this. The pain of loss in the holidays can make us groan. Do we feel a sense of bondage or slavery to this pain? Is this our primary cry during the Advent season? What burdens bind us? What parts of Advent make us cry? One final thing. I was talking to another friend the other day, and I asked them, hey, give me the three hardest things of the holidays for you. They didn't hesitate. Family, family, family. Really? And, of course, we unpacked that a little bit. So often, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, so often the idea of the holiday season brings stress with the expectation from family, extended family, immediate family. Which house are we going to? Are we going to go to the in-laws or the outlaws for Christmas Eve? Okay, Family's coming to town. Where are they staying? You ever heard this conversation? So, hon, let me get this right. 
We're eating breakfast with my brother and his wife, brunch with your dad and stepmom, lunch with my mom and stepdad, Christmas cookies in the afternoon with grandma, the traditional Christmas lunch at our house, a dinner at our house, and then we're going to Uncle Bob's for dessert. That's Christmas Day, right, hon? We are so exhausted just from planning the day that by the time we get to Christmas, we're crying out, God, save us. Get me to New Year's Day and I'll do whatever you want. We easily become burdened by the expectations of family. And I'm convinced that Jesus felt these same expectations. Even around holiday seasons. We get to see a glimpse of this during one of the holiday seasons by an interaction between Jesus and his brothers. John chapter 7, verse 1 to 5. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea. The Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. It's the holiday season. Soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters and Jesus' brothers... His brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. I mean, if you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5 says, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. I would say, look, there's some holiday expectations from family. There's another time Jesus is in a very busy stretch of ministry And we see some family expectations again. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 and following. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are out there and they want to talk to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Any of you who does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and brother and sister. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus didn't not like his family. He actually did. After his first miracle, turning water into wine, you know what he did? He went and hung out with his family. John chapter 2, verse 12, after the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brother, and his disciples. I'm convinced that in the good times and the challenging times, Jesus knew intimately the burden of a family's expectations. Expectations that for us today in the Advent season have the potential to bind us. Are we burdened by these expectations? Are we crying out to God to rescue us from them? Is this our primary cry? Let's go back to the passage we started with. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, 4, and 5. Years passed... And the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew that it was time to act. What are we groaning for this Advent season? There is Advent in the Exodus. I hope you don't leave this morning thinking I don't like Christmas. Okay? I actually love the holiday season. I love the songs. I love the lights. I love the, everything that goes into it. 
But as I've reflected on the advent in the Exodus, I couldn't help but make a connection between the times God's people cried out for a deliverer and what we cry out for today. Because so often the things that bind us, they are real. But so often the things that bind us can take our focus away from the fact, the fact that God has already answered the cry. God has already sent a deliverer. For the Israelite people, 40 years ago, or so many years ago, God sent Moses. Ten plagues and 40 plus years of wandering in the desert. That desert story foreshadows God's ultimate deliverer, Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ being the main character in the Advent story. So the Advent story is the story of God answering the people's cries. It is the story of God answering the people's groans. The Advent story is the ultimate story of Jesus setting his people free. We cannot forget that this holiday season. The groans of God's people have already been answered. Look, the angel declared, look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel Gabriel told Joseph, your wife's going to have a son. You're to name him Jesus, for they will save, for he will save his people from their sins. The Greek word there for save is sozo. It means to rescue, to deliver out of. The Christ of the advent has already set us free. Jesus told us that. If the son has set you free, then you are truly free. Tying that back into what we're talking about today. The burdens of the holidays that can so easily bind us. We look at the groans of the Israelites of old, and we look at our groans. And I would argue that our groan needs to be for a return of Jesus. I would argue that our groan, our cry, needs to be for a return of Jesus. I am not... Uh, belittling the other things that we've talked about. Those are real. They will continue to be real. But if our cry is for Christ's return, then those other cries will have a little less hold on us, a little less capability to enslave us. So the Advent season of 2016 Let us join the Israelites in their cry in the Exodus. Let us cry out for the return of a king. And if God gives us more days to tarry on this earth, let us cry out at least for a rebirth of Christ in our hearts. Let us not moan and groan and cry because of holiday commercials that are played two months too early. Let our primary cry be for Christ. Give me Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, I know that for me personally, in these last couple weeks of planning and prepping, I know that this message hit home. And I know that in a very real way, God, you were telling me, make sure my heart is crying out for Jesus first and foremost. God, I don't think you were telling me not to cry out for the other things, but you were telling me that my primary cry should be for a return of Christ. If nothing else, for a rebirth of Christ in my heart. I pray, Lord, that that would take place in me. 
And I pray, Lord, that if that is what our body needs, that it would take place in them as well. Father, as we enter into this, this Advent season, as we, we begin to celebrate five weeks of preparation to celebrate your birth, I ask this morning that you would quite simply give us Jesus. Give us Jesus. Give us more of Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen.